Amen. You guys can make yourselves comfy. Good evening. Glad you guys are here. It has been a little more frightful weather the last couple days. So glad you guys are here. Um, if it's your first time here, welcome. Glad you're here. Welcome to the family. Uh, my name is Justin, and um, I am the interim young adult pastor at the moment. We are working on hiring another full-time young adult pastor here for Woods Edge, um, but I am loving hanging out with you guys right now. Uh, so be praying for that. Be praying that the Lord brings the perfect person that, uh, that our church needs, that you guys need, that the Lord wants to use in this season here at Woods Edge. Um, we're getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving, okay? Who in here like really likes Thanksgiving? Is there anyone? Okay, I, I like Thanksgiving. Uh, is anyone in here, your, it's your favorite holiday? Anyone? Okay, no. See, I mean, I like food, so it's up there, but it's not quite my favorite. But I am excited that we're getting close to Thanksgiving. And um, because we're getting close to Thanksgiving, last week we kicked off a conversation talking about why we can be thankful. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper tonight. So the term synonymous with Thanksgiving in Christian circles, in Christendom, is celebration. This idea, this spiritual discipline of celebration. And for many of us, if we're being honest, we find it difficult to celebrate. Last week, we talked about that. And we talked about how if we're brutally honest, it's often hard to celebrate because we don't have anything worthy of celebrating. And to discover a life filled with deep thanksgiving and celebration, we need to get closer to God. Like we desperately need to be closer to God. To do that, we first of all have to surrender our lives to the authority of Jesus Christ and believe that God did what he said in the Bible and sent Jesus to earth and lived a perfect life and died on a cross and took my punishment and your punishment for our sins so that we can live in freedom because after he took our punishment and died on a cross, he was buried in a grave and three days later he rose again, conquering death so he can give us life. And so we need to obviously submit our lives to Jesus and then we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk a life of obedience. And as we do that, we align our lives with the will of God and we are transformed. We are made new, as the Bible says. And we're, when we are experiencing that deep life transformation that comes through a life of obedience to the word of God, to Jesus Christ, we have every reason to celebrate. Like when we experience looking at who we once were and seeing who we are now, we have every reason to celebrate. We have every reason to be filled with joy. But here's the thing. Being obedient to the Lord is a sacrifice. Like it's, let's be really honest. Like it's hard to be obedient to the Lord. Um, you cannot be obedient to the Lord and stay the same. You can't. Like when you submit your will to his will, you will be transformed. And when the Holy Spirit reveals areas in our lives that don't please the Lord or work towards our benefit, we must be willing to submit to the will of God. Like we have to walk a life of obedience if we are going to get this John 10, 10, a life full, abundant, vibrant that he promises we get that by, by walking in obedience to his will. 
we see that what his will is for our life through the word of God. Um, to lay down deep-seated beliefs and ideas is really difficult, right? Like it's a sacrifice. It is hard to read the word of God and go, hold on. So what I've been doing for however many years or how I've been thinking or how I've been living, you're telling me that's actually not beneficial. That's not what God wants for me. That's not what I should be doing. And now I have to reorient not only the way I think, but all of my habits and all of what I do in line with that, like that type of obedience. Well, that's, that's a lot. Like that's really hard. So yeah, we left off last week and it's like, man, be obedient to the Lord, surrender to him. And man, he'll fill your life with joy. But if you're anything like me, you leave a message like that, really inspired and fired up. And as the week goes on, it doesn't really play out how we thought it would when we left Sunday night, right? <laughs> I'm preaching to myself too, okay? I'm in that same boat. Tonight, uh, we're gonna take a little bit deeper look at why in the world we would sacrifice. Like what's, what is at stake? What is so worth us reorienting our entire lives? So we're gonna be taking a look at Philippians chapter four, chapter four, whatever word I said is not a number, okay? Um, and we're going to take a look at God's plan for overcoming the stress of this world so that we can walk in a life of joy and celebration. So if you guys have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four. And we're going to start in verse four. If you don't have your Bibles, verses will be on the screen. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice always like always, always, like even when she just broke up with me, you mean even when my car just broke down because I knew I needed gas and I tried to push it a little too far because I can barely scrape two pennies together right now. Like, yeah, rejoice, rejoice always. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, he says, let me say it again, <laughs> rejoice, rejoice. So my first point tonight is this, trust God. How do we rejoice? How do we rejoice always? We trust God. Verse six in Philippians four says this, do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> That's the opposite of rejoicing. Okay. <laughs> Being anxious. Being so overwhelmed that you can't rejoice. The King James, the King James version says it this way, be careful for nothing. In other words, be full of care for nothing. Like don't care too much about anything. Paul shares how we can experience the joy of the Lord and cautions us against being careful. It sounds very different than things that I grew up hearing, right? But Jesus gives the same advice. Matthew 625, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put, put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus, 
Paul, they're saying, don't care so much about things. Don't be so full of care that it weighs you down like it does. What's interesting though, as kids, we're literally trained to be careful, right? Like if I could tell you how many times a day I tell my children, hey, be careful. Hey, don't do that. Hey, watch out. Hey, right? Like we're literally, since the time we are kids, we are told, be careful, be careful, be careful. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Don't do that. Be careful, be careful. Take care, be full of care. And it's reinforced over and over and over and over and over again. And we have a lifetime full of experiences where we are full of care. Last week I said uh, a lot of this content is coming from a book called The Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. Richard Foster says this, the spirit of celebration will not be in us until we have learned to be careful for nothing. We will never have a carefree indifference to things until we trust God. You cannot be carefree unless you actually trust God. So when Paul starts out, do not be anxious about anything. He's making a statement. He's saying, hey, trust God. Rejoice always. Don't be anxious about anything. Trust God. Trust God. But many of you in the room would say that you trust God, right? You're like, I, I feel like I trust God pretty, pretty well. Pretty, uh, but I don't feel super carefree. <laughs> like I still feel kind of weighed down. I still feel anxious a lot. I still feel depressed a lot. I don't have this spirit of joy. I don't have this fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's going on? How do we become carefree? How do we, how do we actually take God up on that offer? My control freaks in the audience are like sweating right now. They're like, please help me, please. Here's the deal. This is how Paul says that we work against, we combat anxiety. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, hey, pray, but not just pray. Pray with thanksgiving. We miss that. I, I will say I am the chief of sinners when it comes to that. You know how often I pray with a heart of thanksgiving? Not nearly enough. And that's <laughs> being very gracious to myself. Like I go to God with a lot of needs. We go to God with a lot of requests. Rarely is our heart a heart of thanksgiving. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Paul's saying that because of Jesus, we have access to a really good father. And when we feel anxious, we can bring our worries to God and he is moved. Like not just emotionally, right? Like a lot of times we hear that word like, oh, it moves the heart of God. No, no, no. When you actually pray with thanksgiving, when you pray with a heart that says, God, I know you're a really, really good dad. 
And so whatever I'm going through, I'm gonna bring it to you and I'm gonna trust you and whatever happens, I'm good. When we bring those requests to God, it doesn't just move his heart. God is moved to action. Like you see this through scripture. People pray and God moves. You see this all through the New Testament. You see people throughout the Bible, Moses, Abraham, actually pray in the Bible words it in a way where it seems like they somehow get God to change his mind. And I can't like in the sovereignty of God and predestination and free will and choice. I don't know how all that works, but that's what the Bible says that like prayer moves, not just the heart. God doesn't just look at you and go, Oh man, I feel so bad for you. Like, man, yeah, you are. He really, like, he doesn't just pat you on the shoulder and be like, mm, yeah, yeah, that, that hurts me too, right here. Like, no, that, he's moved to action. He's moved to action when we pray with Thanksgiving. Uh, this week, my daughter was super, super sad, okay? My seven-year-old, eight-year-old, sorry, she just turned eight. Um, you wanna know Why? The weather is getting cooler and she didn't have boots to wear. Girls, you might get this. No idea. I'm like, okay, weather's getting cold. But she was like, but she's like weeping in her room because she didn't have boots. Weather's cold. She wants to wear boots. No boots fit anymore. She's beside herself. So what did I do? I comforted her in the moment. And as soon as I could, I set a date on the calendar where we were going to go and buy some boots, right? Why? Because she, she moved not just my heart, but she moved me to action. And I'm not a great dad. <laughs> God is perfect. He's a perfect dad. When he sees his kids hurting and we're going, God, I just, I just trust you. I just, I just trust you. So I'm good. Like I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I'm rejoicing. Whatever happens, like I'm good. I, I trust you, but here's what's going on. And if you want to intervene, I'd really love it. <laughs> Those prayers move God's heart. When you see Moses and Abraham praying and moving the heart of God to actually like change his mind in the old Testament, they are actually usually calling on the character of God and who he is and saying, God, remember who you are to your people. Remember you love us. Remember you have a promise for us. Remember you have a plan for us. Remember you said you'd never leave us. Remember you said you'd never forsake us. Remember you said you'd forgive us. Remember you'd be with us. And God goes, yeah, you're right. I'm with you. They knew the character of God. They trusted God. And when they pray with a heart of thanksgiving, God, I'm praying because I know who you are and I know that this is not gonna end well. Move and God shows up and he moves. And we see it all throughout scripture because he's a really good dad and he has the ability to do that. And so he wants to do that for his kids. Luckily, Paul doesn't just stop at that thought because here's the reality. How many of you guys are like, yeah, I trust God. How many of you guys are like, man, I pray and I try to be thankful and I try to be grateful. I still don't have a life full of joy. <laughs> What's going on? 
There's more things at play. Paul, Paul doesn't stop there. There's one more piece to this. And all three of these things playing together is what helps us live a life of joy, a life filled with celebration. The first one is trust God. The second is pray with thanksgiving. The third thing is practice thinking grateful thoughts. Man, if we could tally up the negative, cynical, destructive, cutting thoughts that we have, and we stack those up against the encouraging, life-giving, uplifting thoughts that we have, most of us would be pretty ashamed at the balance. And I'll put myself in that boat too. And that's not just with like other people and not being grateful and not being thankful. Like that's with you. Like you don't practice grateful thoughts with yourself. Some of you guys in here, if someone talked to you the way that you talk to yourself, you wouldn't stand for it. But for some reason, it's okay that you talk to yourself that way all the time on repeat constantly. And then we wonder why in the world am I so cynical? Why in the world am I so critical? Why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? Why, why can I not find any relief? We need to practice thinking grateful thoughts. Paul says this, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Get this, we're going on, okay? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, this is Jesus talking, or this is Paul, I mean, sorry, uh, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. Practice trusting God. Practice praying with thanksgiving. Practice thinking grateful thoughts. This is really sanctification at its core, right? If you've ever heard that theological term, um, it's essentially this idea that we become more and more like Jesus as time goes on. And a lot of people will attribute sanctification with outward actions. And that's because as outsiders, that's how we can, that's the only way that we can measure as human beings and go try to like stack ourselves up against each other and go, seems like you're growing a little bit. I'm seeing a little life change. You know, you're not cussing as much. You know, you didn't watch Hot Tub Time Machine this time. Like, okay, you're good. Like, uh, but that's, it's, it's deeper than that. Sanctification is the way we think. Because get this, if the way we think changes, then the way we feel changes. And if the way we feel changes, then the way we act changes. And so sanctification is not us acting differently. Like we said last week, you can, you can muster up the strength to like do anything for a season, but to actually be transformed, like to 
be a person of joy, to like be so full of joy when you walk into a room, people just smile. People like spending time with you because you're encouraging, because you have fun, because you know how to enjoy life. Sanctification changes the way that we think. We focus our mind on Christ and his goodness until it outweighs the weight of our problems. Richard Foster says it this way. God has established a created order full of excellent and good things. And it follows naturally that as we give our attention to those things, we will be happy. That is God's appointed way to joy. If we think we will have joy only by praying and singing psalms, we will be disillusioned. But if we fill our lives with simple good things and constantly thank God for them, we will be joyful. That is full of joy. And what about our problems? I love this. When we determine to dwell on the good and excellent things in life, we will be so full of those things that they will tend to swallow our problems. As we close out, let's get super, super practical, okay? We wanna trust God, right? We want to pray with thanksgiving. We want to practice thinking grateful thoughts, but how do we get started? What do we do? Where do we go from here? First thing is this, celebrate through singing, dancing, and shouting, okay? That might be worship. That might be here in this place, but man, Let's celebrate by singing and dancing. And like, I look at my kids. And so yesterday we took our kids to Disney on ice down in Houston. Okay. And, um, yeah, go Mickey. Um, and my kids sadly are, they're old now. So they sat next to us and they enjoyed it and it was awesome. But you know what I was watching in the distance that I saw there was a bunch of little, like one and two-year-old little girls in their princess dresses, just dancing and screaming and singing. And it was amazing. Like just watching it, I was like, golly. My wife, Chelsea, looks over to me and she goes, could you imagine if adults did that? Like if we just like got up at a concert and just like walked down to the front and we're like, I'm gonna dance, I'm doing it. I'm feeling it, I'm doing it. Like, (laughs) it'd be awesome. But as we grow up, we lose that. We lose the ability to just sing and dance and cut loose and be wild. Let's meditate on the goodness of God and worship out of an overflow of gratitude. Let's celebrate through singing, dancing, shouting. Let's celebrate through worship. Super practical. Some of y'all, you need to laugh. You need to laugh. All right, you need to tell your friends to send you some more reels, some more memes. You need to laugh, okay? Man, some of us have gone way too long without a deep, 
deep belly laugh. You know what I'm talking about. We're like, you can't breathe. You start making really unnatural noises. You're afraid your abs are going to be sore tomorrow. Like that type of a laugh. Like when you were in seventh grade and you stayed up till 3 a.m. for the first time and you and your friends are laughing like crazy because no one has any idea what's happening. Like that type of joy and laughter. Golly, when was the last time we laughed like that? And here's the truth. Laughter really is good medicine. Okay, check this out. This is from the Mayo Clinic. Short-term benefits of laughter. Laughter enhances your intake of oxygen-rich air, stimulates your heart, lungs, and muscles, and increases the endorphins that are released by your brain. It's like a workout. That's why I just tell jokes. I don't have to go to the gym ever, okay? <laughs> Another short-term benefit. A rollicking laugh fires up and then cools down your stress response, and it can increase and then decrease your heart rate and blood pressure. The result, a good, relaxed feeling. Do you know what that means? That means by having a good belly laugh, you can literally relieve stress and anxiety. Scientific, right? Another thing, short-term benefit. Laughter can stimulate circulation and aid muscle relaxation, both of which can help reduce some of the physical symptoms of stress. Long-term benefits. Laughter improves your immune system, relieves pain, increases personal satisfaction, and improves your mood. Some of y'all need to stop taking yourself so seriously. <laughs> Some of y'all just need to laugh, man. Here's the thing. Jesus tells parables that are meant to be humorous. You can't tell me that Jesus and 12 dudes that spent every day and night together for three years didn't cut up and fart and make ridiculous jokes and get on each other's nerves and laugh about it. Like, that had to have been happening. They are human beings. And so as Christians, for some reason, we make this like crazy, like stuffy, religious, like, and we like guise it under this, like a oh, reverent. No, you're boring. Like, like laugh, have fun. Okay. Like, come on. You can be reverent, but there's a difference between being reverent and just having no joy. And just sucking the joy out of what should be the best relationship and the best experience that we have in life. Man, we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. If you know anything about me, man, I love to laugh. I love to joke. I am not very serious for very long. Um, and I feel like it's made my life really awesome. <laughs> you guys should try it. Um, okay, moving on. Last thing, last thing, okay? The, the first two uh, little practical take-homes, okay? Celebrate through singing, dancing, and shouting. The second one is laugh. The third one is celebrate little wins. Man, let's celebrate little wins. You don't have to do something big. It doesn't have to be a holiday. It doesn't have to be a birthday. You don't have to graduate college to celebrate. Man, celebrate something small. Think about some of the, the things that are going on in your life that most people would find insignificant and just celebrate, just celebrate, right? Like 
here's what happens too. When we do that, we build a new habit into our lives. We build a new way of thinking into our lives where we are building a habit of celebrating the mundane. And when we do that, our joy becomes infused with the mundane. So things that once before were boring, things that we just couldn't even get ourselves out of bed to do that are agonizing for us, man, we can build in a habit of celebrating mundane things on purpose so that when we have to do mundane things because that's just what life is sometimes, we actually find joy in those things. You can practice that. Maybe where we used to get bored, anxious, or depressed, we can now find joy. So instead of focusing on the fact that you're struggling in your econ class or struggling at work, you celebrate. You celebrate that you got through another week. You celebrate that the last test you took, you got a little bit better grade than the last time. It was still an 82 and you wish it was an A, but it wasn't a 72 like the last one. Like celebrate those little things. Celebrate that stuff. We have way too high of a bar for what deserves a celebration. In our house, Kessler House, we celebrate with food. Everything we do is celebrated with food. It's the way of Jesus, okay? He had meals with people. I'm not saying that it's healthy, but it, you know, I'm just saying Jesus did it, so I'm taking all the liberty I can. So, but here's the deal. When we come together at Thanksgiving and we celebrate as a family, we are trying to put our focus onto little wins. We actually go around the table and we share little things. We do this on our Sabbath. Every weekend when we Sabbath, we go around the table and we share about our weeks and we share the little wins and we award people random. We're like, you're the cutest this week and you were the best servant this week. And they're like arbitrary things that we just make up on the spot. But we do it because we want to celebrate little wins. Hudson's five years old and he's like, I didn't pee in my bed this week. And I'm like, yes, hallelujah, okay? Let's celebrate. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's an amen. You need to celebrate for my wife, really, for that one. Here's the deal. Let's wrap up with this quote. Celebration gives us the strength to live in all the other disciplines. So all the other things, studying the word of God, fasting, meditation, silence and solitude, um, all these things that we do, celebration gives us the strength to live in all those disciplines. When faithfully pursued, the other disciplines bring us deliverance from those things that have made our lives miserable for years, which in turn evokes increased celebration. Thus, an unbroken circle of life and power is formed. Here's the deal. As we inch closer to Thanksgiving, let's remember how we can truly be grateful. What is really worthy of celebration? That life change, that transformation. And the way that we achieve that is by doing the things that God has advised us to do so that we can experience the life that he knows those things will lead to. And when we experience that, we celebrate. And it's this, it's this cycle that just continues to go. So this week as we leave, let's trust God, let's pray with thanksgiving, and let's practice thinking grateful thoughts. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord, thank you so much for tonight. And God, I pray that we would be people that celebrate, that God, we would have fun, that it doesn't have to be this hyped up or fake or manufactured joy or fun. Like we don't have to be that person at the party that's always super fun and charismatic, but God, we want real joy. Like this, this joy that comes because we know that you're moving in our lives and we are so unbelievably grateful that we can't help but celebrate. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Do that work in us. Transform us from the inside out so that we can become more like you. So that, Lord, we can see Houston become a city of God. Go before us this week, Lord, in everything we do. Guide us. Teach us, show us how to follow after you. And Lord, as we begin to celebrate, as we begin to laugh and we begin to enjoy this life that you've given us, even the mundane moments, God, I pray that you would just show us more of who you are and that we would continue to find more and more joy. Lord, we believe you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.